Chapter six of Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc by Mark Twain. Chapter six. Joan and Archangel Michael. All through her childhood, and up to the middle of her fourteenth year, Joan had been the most light-hearted creature and the merriest in the village, with a hop-skip-and-jump gait and a happy and catching laugh. And this disposition, supplemented by her warm and sympathetic nature and frank and winning ways, had made her everybody's pet. She had been a hot patriot all this time, and sometimes the war news had sobered her spirits and wrung her heart and made her acquainted with tears but always when these interruptions had run their course her spirits rose and she was her old self again but now for a whole year and a half she had been mainly grave not melancholy but given to thought abstraction dreams she was carrying france upon her heart and she found the burden not light i knew that this was her trouble but others attributed her abstraction to religious ecstasy for she did not share her thinkings with the village at large yet gave me glimpses of them and so i knew better than the rest what was absorbing her interest many a time the idea crossed my mind that she had a secret a secret which she was keeping wholly to herself as well as from me as from the others this idea had come to me because several times she had cut a sentence in two and changed the subject when apparently she was on the verge of a revelation of some sort. I was to find this secret out, but not just yet. The day after the conversation which I have been reporting, we were together in the pastures and fell to talking about France as usual. For her sake I had always talked hopefully before, but that was mere lying, for really there was not anything to hang a rag of hope for France upon now it was such a pain to lie to her and cost me such shame to offer this treachery to one so snow-pure from lying and treachery and even from suspicion of such baseness in others as she was that i was resolved to face about now and begin over again and never insult her more with deception i started on the new policy by saying still opening up with a small lie of course for habit is habit and not to be flung out of the window by any man, but coaxed downstairs a step at a time. "'Joan, I have been thinking the thing all over last night, and have concluded that we have been in the wrong all this time, that the case of France is desperate, that it has been desperate ever since Agincourt, and that to-day it is more than desperate, it is hopeless.' I did not look her in the face while I was saying it. It could not be expected of a person— to break her heart, to crush her hope with a so frankly brutal speech as that, without one charitable soft place in it, it seemed a shameful thing, and it was. But when it was out, the weight gone, and my conscience rising to the surface, I glanced at her face to see the result. There was none to see, at least none that I was expecting. There was a barely perceptible suggestion of wonder in her serious eyes, but that was all, and she said, in her simple and placid way, the case of france hopeless why should you think that tell me it is a most pleasant thing to find that what you thought would inflict a hurt upon one whom you honor has not done it i was relieved now and could say all my say without any furtiveness and without embarrassment so i began let us put sentiment and patriotic illusions aside and look at the facts in the face what do they say they say as plainly as the figures in a merchant's account book. 
one has only to add the two columns up to see that the french house is bankrupt that one half of its property is already in the english sheriff's hands and the other half in nobody's except those of irresponsible raiders and robbers confessing allegiance to nobody our king is shut up with his favorites and fools in inglorious idleness and poverty in a narrow little patch of the kingdom a sort of back lot as one may say and has no authority there or anywhere else hasn't a farthing to his name nor a regiment of soldiers he is not fighting he is not intending to fight he means to make no further resistance in truth there is but one thing that he is intending to do give the whole thing up pitch his crown into the sewer and run away to scotland there are the facts are they correct yes they are correct then it is as i have said one needs but to add them together in order to realize what they mean she asked in an ordinary level tone what that the case of france is hopeless necessarily in face of these facts doubt of it is impossible how can you say that how can you feel like that how can i how could i think or feel in any other way in the circumstances joan with these fatal figures before you have you really any hope for france really and actually hope oh more than that france will win her freedom and keep it do not doubt it it seemed to me that her clear intellect must surely be clouded to-day it must be so for she would see that those figures could mean only one thing perhaps if i marshalled them again she would see so i said joan your heart which worships france is beguiling your head you are not perceiving the importance of these figures here i want to make a picture of them here on the ground with a stick now this rough outline is france through its middle east and west i draw a river yes the loire now then this whole northern half of the country is in the tight grip of the english yes and this whole southern half is really in nobody's hands at all as our king confesses by meditating desertion and flight to a foreign land england has armies here opposition is dead she can assume full possession whenever she may choose in very truth all france is gone france is already lost france has ceased to exist what was france is now but a british province is this true her voice was low and just touched with emotion but distinct yes it is true very well now add this clinching fact and surely the sum is complete when have french soldiers won a victory scotch soldiers under the french flag have won a barren fight or two a few years back but i am speaking of french ones since eight thousand englishmen nearly annihilated sixty thousand frenchmen a dozen years ago at agincourt french courage has been paralyzed and so it is a common saying to-day that if you confront fifty french soldiers with five english ones the french will run it is a pity but even these things are true then certainly the day for hoping is past i believed the case would be clear to her now i thought it could not fail to be clear to her and that she would say herself that there was no longer any ground for hope but i was mistaken and disappointed also she said without any doubt in her tone france will rise again you shall see rise with this burden of english armies on her back 
she will cast it off she will trample it under foot this with spirit without soldiers to fight with the drums will summon them they will answer and they will march march to the rear as usual no to the front ever to the front always to the front you shall see and the pauper king he will mount his throne he will wear his crown well of a truth this makes one's head dizzy why if i could believe that in thirty years from now the english domination would be broken and the french monarch's head find itself hooped with a real crown of sovereignty both will have happened before two years are sped indeed and who is going to perform all these sublime impossibilities god it was a reverent low note but it rang clear what could have put those strange ideas in her head this question kept running in my mind during two or three days it was inevitable that i should think of madness what other way was there to account for such things grieving and brooding over the woes of france had weakened that strong mind and filled it with fantastic phantoms yes that must be it but i watched her and tested her and it was not so her eye was clear and sane her ways were natural her speech direct and to the point no there was nothing the matter with her mind it was still the soundest in the village and the best she went on thinking for others planning for others sacrificing herself for others just as always before she went on ministering to her sick and to her poor and still stood ready to give the wayfarer her bed and content herself with the floor there was a secret somewhere but madness was not the key to it this was plain now the key did presently come into my hands and the way that it happened was this you have heard all the world talk of this matter which i am about to speak of but you have not heard an eye-witness talk of it before i was coming over the ridge one day it was the fifteenth of may twenty eight and when i got to the edge of the oak forest and was about to step out of it upon the turfy open space in which the haunted beech-tree stood i happened to cast a glance from cover first then i took a step backward and stood in the shelter and concealment of the foliage for i had caught sight of joan and thought i would devise some sort of playful surprise for her think of it that trivial conceit was neighbor with but a scarcely measurable interval of time between to an event destined to endure forever in histories and songs the day was overcast and all that grassy space wherein the tree stood lay in a soft rich shadow joan sat on a natural seat formed by gnarled great roots of the tree her hands lay loosely one reposing in the other in her lap her head was bent a little toward the ground and her air was that of one who is lost to thought steeped in dreams and not conscious of herself or of the world and now i saw a most strange thing for i saw a white shadow come slowly gliding along the grass toward the tree it was of grand proportions a robed form with wings and the whiteness of this shadow was not like any other whiteness that we know of except it be the whiteness of lightnings but even the lightnings are not so intense as it was for one can look at them without hurt whereas this brilliancy was so blinding that it pained my eyes and brought the water into them i uncovered my head perceiving that i was in the presence of something not of this world my breath grew faint and difficult because of the terror and the awe that possessed me another strange thing 
the wood had been silent smitten with that deep stillness which comes when a storm-cloud darkens a forest and the wild creatures lose heart and are afraid but now all the birds burst forth into song and the joy the rapture the ecstasy of it was beyond belief and was so eloquent and so moving withal that it was plain it was an act of worship with the first note of those birds joan cast herself upon her knees and bent her head low and crossed her hands upon her breast she had not seen the shadow yet had the song of the birds told her it was coming it had that look to me then the like of this must have happened before yes there might be no doubt of that the shadow approached joan slowly the extremity of it reached her flowed over her clothed her in its awful splendor in that immortal light her face only humanly beautiful before became divine flooded with that transforming glory her mean peasant habit was become like to the raiment of the sun-clothed children of god as we see them thronging the terraces of the throne in our dreams and imaginings presently she rose and stood with her head still bowed a little and with her arms down and the ends of her fingers lightly laced together in front of her and standing so all drenched with that wonderful light and yet apparently not knowing it she seemed to listen but i heard nothing after a little she raised her head and looked up as one might look up toward the face of a giant and then clasped her hands and lifted them high imploringly and began to plead i heard some of the words i heard her say but i am so young oh so young to leave my mother and my home and go out into the strange world to undertake a thing so great ah how can i talk with men be comrade with men soldiers it would give me over to insult and rude usage and contempt how can i go to the great wars and lead armies i a girl and ignorant of such things knowing nothing of arms nor how to mount a horse nor ride it yet if it is commanded her voice sank a little and was broken by sobs and i made out no more of her words then i came to myself i reflected that i had been intruding upon a mystery of god and what might my punishment be i was afraid and went deeper into the wood then i carved a mark in the bark of a tree saying to myself it may be that i am dreaming and have not seen this vision at all i will come again when i know that i am awake and not dreaming and see if this mark is still here then I shall know. End of chapter 6